A reading from the book of Numbers, the story of the daughters of Zelephahad, from the translation called the Contemporary English Version. Zelephahad was born from the Manasseh tribe, and he had five daughters, whose names were Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milka, and Tirzah. One day his daughters went to the sacred tent, where they met with Moses, Eleazar, and some other leaders of Israel, as well as a large crowd of Israelites. The young woman said, You know that our father died in the desert, but it was for something he did wrong, not for joining with Korah and rebelling against the Lord. Our father left no sons to carry on his family name. But why should his name die out for that reason? Give us some land like the rest of his relatives in our clan, so our father's name can live on. Moses asked the Lord what should be done, and the Lord answered, Zelephahad's daughters are right. They should each be given part of the land their father would have received. Tell the Israelites that when a man dies without a son, his daughter will inherit his land. If he has no daughter, his brothers will inherit the land. And if his father has no brothers, the land must be given to his nearest relative in the clan. This is the law, and the Israelites must obey it. Our second reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the translation called the Common English Bible. From there, Jesus went to the regions of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from those territories came out and shouted, Show me mercy, son of David. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. But he didn't respond to her at all. His disciples came and urged him, Send her away. She keeps shouting after us. Jesus replied, I've been sent only to the lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. He replied, It is not good to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall off their master's table. Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. It will be just as you wish. And right then, her daughter was healed. God's story for God's people. Thanks be to God. There's an anecdote about a Bible scholar who presented a paper entitled The Biblical Way of Life at a symposium in Chicago. And then later he reworked that for a conference in Minnesota, but unbeknownst to him, the organizers changed the title of his paper to The Spirituality of the Bible. In his opening remarks, he expressed some discomfort with this title, saying that it could lead a person to conclude that there are other things in the Bible besides spirituality. He said, Scripture is all spirituality. Now I wonder what you make of that. Does that surprise you? Does it ring true? 
Are you curious about it? Are you offended by it? Something you may not know about me is that before I studied at the Louisville Presbyterian Theological Seminary and was ordained in the PCUSA just a little while ago here at Knox, before that, I studied at Bellarmine University, earning a Master of Arts in Spirituality. Yes, that is a thing, and the study of spirituality is an academic discipline, believe it or not. So it also then may not surprise you to know that I agree with this scholar wholeheartedly. Scripture is all spirituality. Before we turn to our two stories and wonder about how they are spirituality, I think maybe we need to talk about spirituality. What is that? Now, spirituality, all the definitions of it, uh, its relationship to theology and religion is one of my favorite topics, and I would love to explore that topic with you. I would love to talk about spirituality writ large, Christian spirituality more specifically, and even Reformed spirituality, our particular expression of spirituality in our, our movement. But we only have an hour worship service. We do not have time and space for that today. So for our purposes, I'm going to offer two simple descriptions, two simple ideas for us to keep in mind. Here's the first one. We could say this. Spirituality is the way human beings experience God and participate in and nurture that relationship. So, there's an experiential aspect, our lived, daily, individual, and communal experiences of some ultimate reality, something deeper, something bigger, that we often call God. There's also active involvement we participate in and nurture, practices that help us appropriate and internalize the sense of that ultimate reality, and the sense of our deepest selves and our connection to one another and to all creation. So that's the first idea. The second idea I want to offer is this. Spirituality is our experience of God. Theology is how we talk about that experience. Spirituality, our lived experience, talks to theology, keeps it on its toes, reminds it that it's not meant to be static, concrete, a definition that lasts for all time and lifeless. No, it's meant to be dynamic. But then theology also talks to spirituality. Theology, our attempt to describe our lived experience, gives spirituality a home, a community, a grounding, a language. Our two stories today, whatever else they might be, are stories about an experience of God, how these women participated in that relationship, and it's also a story of how God experienced them and how God participated in and nurtured a relationship with them and how their mutual experience and participation changed things. 
Our First Testament story concerns a time in the life of ancient Israel when a census was taken as the new generation of Israelites were entering the land of Canaan. The custom was to count the males, 20 and over, of each family for the purposes of allotting land. Now, a man named Zelophehad had died in the wilderness. He had no sons. And in the chapter before this one, his daughters are just kind of skipped over, like, of course, well, he has no sons, oh well. But these daughters thought differently. So imagine them approaching Moses, Eleazar, all the other leaders in this gathering, telling their story, challenging this custom, saying, yeah, I know, that's how it works, but here's our story. Well, Moses wasn't sure what to do, so Moses asked God. God said, they're right, and instructed them to change the practice and allow daughters to inherit the land. Our New Testament story concerns a Canaanite woman who asks Jesus to heal her daughter. The disciples are annoyed because apparently she's just too loud. Maybe these days they would call her shrill. And Jesus at first says, you know, I have a mission here. I I have a mission to the children of Israel. I'm going to stick to that. But she won't let it go. She challenges that. And Jesus says, you're right, and heals her daughter. Now, there are many sorts of questions we might ask these two stories. And I think some questions are more helpful than others. Oftentimes, I think, our first questions when we approach a biblical story or or a biblical passage often are these. Do I agree with this or not? Does this offend me or not? That's kind of our gut instinct a lot of times. Now, There's some offensive things in these stories. We might have a problem with the patriarchal system that changes a little bit, but not completely. We might be a little annoyed that God was so oblivious to these women initially. Why did it take them coming to this gathering and standing up for themselves for God to go, oh, you're right. We might think Jesus is downright rude. Now, we can ask these questions, acknowledge the problems in the stories, don't stop there. There's some other possible interesting questions we could ask. We might wonder about inheritance traditions in ancient Israel. We might wonder about the significance of a name in ancient Israel and why it was so important that a name continue. We might wonder about this story of Jesus and the Canaanite woman. They're talking about crumbs off of a table And this story is sandwiched between two of the big feeding stories in the Gospel of Matthew. What's that about? I even saw an article about how ancient Israel and the Canaanite peoples viewed dogs differently. There's a lot we could wonder about these stories. But if we're approaching the Bible as an expression of spirituality, we ask questions having to do with the lived experience of the women in these stories and how they participate in their lives with God. For example, what did the women in this story want from God? What did God want for them? 
What do we notice about how they were participating in their lives with God? What's happening in their lives right now? What's at stake? How did they imagine God might help? Who in the story is being attentive to a sense of ultimate reality? And who isn't? Who changes in these stories and how? What do we imagine for the people in this story after this experience with God? And we also might think about the writer of this story, the editors, the people who decided to leave these stories in the scripture. What did they want to say about their experience of God? These questions are rich, and there's a lot they might uncover. What I notice is that on some level, these women must have had an experience of God that told them that God would listen and that God cares about justice. Otherwise, why would they have bothered? So somewhere along the line, they must have experienced God in that way. They participate in their lives with God by persisting, challenging, questioning, insisting that their stories, their lived experiences, be heard. And then they experience God, to whom that lived experience matters, more than any tradition, custom, doctrine, program, policy, agenda, or mission. Their story matters, and telling it changes things. So just as we ask spirituality questions of the text, of these stories, they also ask them of us. I notice then that these stories ask us to participate and nurture our relationship with God by listening for stories. Listening for the stories, the people who are trying to tell us their lived experiences and allowing those stories to matter. And I think there is no shortage of people these days trying to tell their stories, insisting that we hear their stories, and to let those stories make an impact on policies, doctrines, agendas, missions. I heard the story of a person watching the 4th of July parade in Highland Park, Illinois, who said it was a quiet, peaceful, lovely morning. To have that peacefulness suddenly ripped apart, it's scary. You can't go anywhere. You can't find peace. I think we're falling apart. I heard a story of a woman who can't get the medicine she needs for lupus because that medicine is sometimes prescribed to induce abortions. I heard the story of a Native American scholar and professor who wrote, too much talk of inclusion, but no mention of belonging. I don't want to be included in a place where I don't feel like I belong. Just this morning, I heard the story of the father of Jalen Walker, the young man in Akron. He said, if 60 bullets is not too many for white America, 
If seven bullets are not too many for white America, then they see us as animals. I've been following a bit our General Assembly in the last several days, and I think in a lot of ways what they're doing is an attempt to listen to voices and changing our policies and our practices as a result. These voices, these experiences, they challenge my spirituality. They tell me that I haven't listened well enough and that in order for me to truly be an active participant in God's life, I have to do what God does. I have to listen. And more, I have to be changed. So we're invited to listen. But these stories also say that we're invited to speak. The spirituality of these stories, the experience of the stories in these these people in these stories, the writers, the editors say that telling your story matters. I don't know how telling our stories could change things. But I'm guessing that not telling them means that things, situations, and we ourselves might not change. Now, I'm going to close by asking you some spirituality questions in a minute. But before I do, I just want to mention that I brought a handout of some of these spirituality questions that you can ask scripture and ask yourself. It's over here on the Bible table if you're interested. But let's end now by hearing some questions. Still and quiet yourselves for just a moment. Assume something about God. Assume that God is listening, that God cares about justice, that God cares about your dignity and your flourishing and is always seeking your good. As I ask these questions, just react briefly inside. Don't think too hard. You can always revisit them. What is one or a few words that you could say about your life right now? What is one feeling you have as you sit here this morning? In one or a few words, what do you imagine God wants for you right now? For you, what is one word that describes a life participating and nurturing a relationship with God? What does that look like?
And for you, what is one thing that hinders your participation in that life? If you could name the invitation that you heard in these two stories, what would it be? For a God who speaks and a God who listens, we give thanks. Amen.